welcome to episode 20 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson-Rule and today I speak with the amazing Dr. Anita Mitra. Now, I say today, we actually recorded this episode a year ago when I was trying to be efficient and banking uh, podcasts and then didn't actually um, get any out there until not that long ago. So it is over a year old. So some of the things I talk about in it are no longer happening, just one or two things. But uh, for the most part, everything that we talk about still stands. That sounds really cryptic actually, doesn't it? Uh, basically, I'm not working on the Stylist Drum project anymore. I've stepped away from that, but everything else is as it stands. Um, What I love about the uh, chat that Anita and I have is that we don't go too deep into the sciencey stuff around periods, around nutrition, around training, specifically overtraining or indeed under recovery, which is my my preference. Um, But we really talk about everything in a what I feel is a common sense approach. I'm a big, big fan of, of making science simple. I think that we become better educated through conversation and I think that actually this particular episode does that. So I really, really hope you enjoy it. Anita also has an amazing book, The Gyna Geek, which we talk about uh, on the podcast, but I'm not sure that we actually even uh, said what it was called. So it's your no-nonsense guide to down there healthcare. So as ever, if you enjoyed the show, do leave me a review uh, on iTunes or wherever you are listening and let me know what you think. Anita, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you, Jocelyn? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much. I know I've been trying to organize this for the longest time to get you onto the podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank well, you for no me. problem. I mean, you've kind of been busy having a baby and I've been having my own baby, <laughs> the book. <laughs> Just in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> small detail, small detail. Cool. We we have a bit of a, a history anyway, which is how we we've uh, how we got to know each other in the first place. But if you want to, which we'll talk about it's later. Very cryptic. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. Our past life. But um, if you want to introduce yourself first, in case some of the listeners don't know you, my name's Anita Mitra, and I am a doctor, a medical doctor, and a scientist. Yeah. So yeah. I'm technically Dr. Dr. Anita Mitra, but I would never make anyone call me that. Um, so, so double bright, double bright. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I have a science degree. Um, then I went to medical school. After that, I did a PhD. So Amazing. that's where all my kind of um, life has gone in university, basically. But no, I've been a doctor now since 2011. I currently work in obstetrics and gynecology. So that's my specialist field. Um, so yeah. that basically means looking after pregnant women, and also looking after non-pregnant women who've got problems with their periods, vaginas, uteruses, ovaries, all those kind of things, and hormones, obviously, too. And I also still do a lot of research. And I also have an online alter ego called the Gyne Geek. So that's basically something that was kind of born out of frustration, really, because I noticed that on social media, the conversation about women's health was really opening up. And it's something mm-hmm. I really welcomed because I knew from my patients that it was something that we just didn't talk about. And also from generally being a woman. But then I noticed that it wasn't necessarily coming from the right sources. It wasn't coming Mm. from people who were qualified. And often a lot of the information was a little bit inaccurate. And I think also something that comes with working in healthcare day in, day out is that you get to see the little intricacies and caveats 
you know, things that don't necessarily apply straight from the textbook. So with a bit of, well, a lot of convincing from friends, a lot of encouragement, (laughs) I started a blog and an Instagram account, which kind of went a bit crazy. I I really, (laughs) really didn't think that anyone was going to be interested. I'll be honest with you, you know, I see maybe six, seven, eight people in a morning or an afternoon in clinic. And so Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, if I could get maybe six, seven, eight thousand followers, then that'd Mm -hmm. be incredible because I can like reach this incredible number of people through social media. And it's gone like way beyond that. And obviously it's not about the number of followers. It's about getting the information out there because it's just so needed. That, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, it's just so necessary because it hasn't been around for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I just see so many women who just struggle with, you know, health concerns, a lot of anxiety, largely because there's very basic things that we're just not really taught about when it comes to women's health. And that's yeah. no one's fault at all. Um, no. But it's just because we're really rubbish as a society of talking about these kind of things. So it's kind of like all about, you know, breaking that taboo, but just getting that really reliable, engaging information out there. And so, so how many out of interest, how many followers do you have now? Because you wanted six or seven thousand. I know you've got way more than that. <laughs> yeah, something like 49,000. Wow. Which is wow. crazy. It's really which crazy. is fantastic though. Because actually, yeah, think about that reach. I would never predict that that many people would be interested in women's health. And it's really yeah. interesting as well, because the thing that I actually really love is seeing people tag their friends. That's what I really like. And I always wanted it to be a conversation starter because I think these days that is a way of starting a conversation, you know, sending someone a link from the internet, sending a post. And it's just a way of, you know, next time you bump into that person, you'd be like, yeah, you know, that post that I sent you. And then it just gets people sharing because I mean, when it comes to like periods, for example, just, I mean, the first, the introduction to the book basically tells you probably one of my most shocking period stories. And it's through not talking about it that people don't know what's normal. Every day I have period chat multiple times. And a lot of people have never, ever spoken to any of their friends or family about their period. So if you have these like torrential periods, really painful periods, you you can come to think that's normal. Yeah. And it's quite shocking as well, because, you know, I've met lots of women who say, you know, talking to their mums about their periods, it was called like the curse in their house or something. Wow. Yeah. So then there's just this negative language on top which adds to the shame. And yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that just says that, you know, obviously their mum was really struggling with some kind of like terrible period issue. And then it becomes this thing that you're like, oh, okay, well, my periods are awful too, but it's the curse. And that's just what it has to be like. So yeah, we really need to get rid of that. What I've found now, obviously, is you've been having way more of a conversation about it. And I always notice on your posts, people will ask you information. You're like, without seeing you, I can't give you individual advice, which is which is fantastic. But then do you feel like so you're obviously having these open conversations. Do you feel that that is having the effect for people then to go and see their doctors to have more conversations? Or do you just feel like it's just kind of opening their eyes a little bit more to the fact that they're not you know alone yeah. other people suffer from this go and get so do you, do you feel like that's changed at all yeah, or it's I just kind of like a start? it's a bit of both I mean I do I do really appreciate that it's really difficult because some people don't always have a good relationship with their doctor and and I think you know we're in the UK, you have to go and see a GP before you can go and see a specialist. And I mean, GPs are incredible. I could not be a GP. I I did that job actually for a few months um, when I was training 
when I first qualified from university and the amount of information you have to know. And so, you know, you get GPs who maybe have never really done very much obs and gynae at all. And so it, it will be really difficult for them to be able to have that kind of conversation with you. So I wouldn't criticize GPs at all, but I can see that people aren't necessarily able to access all the information that they want. Um, and so that's the amazing thing about Instagram, but it's also the kind of slightly frustrating thing because there's only so much information I can give. At the end of the day, it's health education rather than health information. So um, it's all about you know trying to sort of prompt people to go and speak to a medical professional. Yeah, yeah. And I agree. I think that, that GPs get a real hard time, whether it's people talking about nutrition or whatever, like, yeah, doctors don't know anything. It's like actually a GP lo- knows a ton of stuff. They don't, they just don't necessarily know the detail that perhaps you need for your situation. I, I, I agree. I think that they get a real hard time. But then it's a question of, right, well, where do people go if they want to see somebody? Um, so what, what would you say on that? So, so, in the UK, yes, we have you have to go and see a GP to get referred, but then you would then be referred to a gynecologist, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. If it's something yeah. that cannot be solved in general practice, and there's in actually that, quite yeah. a lot of things that GPs can do. And so you don't necessarily always need to come and see a gynecologist. I think in other countries where the health system's set up in a slightly different way, it's kind of a thing that people are like, well, I go and see my gynecologist every year, but it's not actually something that you need to do. And and I would just kind of say that in a lot of health systems, it tends to be driven by money um, because it's, it's all about a private healthcare system. Um, so for example, I don't go and see a gynecologist every year. I know I look at yeah. one in the mirror every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I don't go and do things like I don't have a smear test every year. I don't mm. have um, an ultrasound every year like lots of people are in, in a lot of countries and don't have an examination. If I had symptoms, I would go and see one, but mm. I don't do any kind of like random checkups like that because actually there isn't really any evidence to show that they improve health outcomes. Um, yeah. It's yeah. all about feeling comfortable to go and speak to someone when something's not right, but also knowing when something is not right. And again, that's kind of yeah. what I'm all about, trying to educate people about what is, you know, learning what's normal for them and just kind of yeah. flagging up some things that might not be normal. Okay. So when we talked about uh, what we were going to talk about today. I really wanted to focus on it because obviously you cover a lot of um, different things in the book, which is incredible. But I really wanted to focus, obviously, because of the kind of work that I do on part five, which is lifestyle and mm, women's health. Definitely. And in that you cover stress, you cover food, you cover exercise and you cover sleep. So are you cool to have a, a chat about that if we start with stress? Yeah, first? definitely. But I think we need to tell our cryptic story to the listeners because <laughs> they're all dying to know how we met. <laughs> Because I, I think it does really tie into all of these things, actually. It, it actually does, doesn't it? Sorry, I'm it just hijacking does. your podcast now. No, no, go for it, girlie. It's all good. Yeah, so we met, obviously. How many years ago now would you say that? 2013. Okay, two th- 2013. I'm rubbish with dates, so I'm glad that you know. <laughs> I used to teach Nike Training Club in Nike Town, and you were my one of my lovely participants which was great. And there was, how, how many did we have on the floor? Maybe 12? Did we fit 12? It was like on the men's floor yeah. in Nike Town, random with people shopping, but all good. <laughs> we did what we had to do. Exactly. I had my little crew of girls that used to train every week regularly, which was great. I loved seeing all of your faces. And I remember one moment, uh, we used to have our uh, changing room chat post-session. Mm. 
And I remember you who always used to come in smiling, full of life, telling us about <laughs> horror stories work and how you, how you like to do the on therapy and work and so on. Um, but one day you just really had lost your mojo. Uh, there were a few of us in the changing room. We're, we're all in one changing room as well. Cash. Squeezed in. And, and I can't remember what one of the other girls was saying. And I just could see that you were just a bit blank and needed a hug. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I just gave you a hug. And then there might have been a bit, a few tears. Definitely. But from memory, I think it was basically that you had been overtraining or indeed under recovering. And you were sort of like a little bit at your wit's end. You were like, I've been doing all of this training. I don't get it. I just feel flat. I don't feel motivated. I just, I don't know what to do. And in my mind, that was, that was the flag. It was Mm. just like, well, this is a girl that trains a lot. It's really keen to, you know, stay fit and healthy and all of those things. But perhaps it wasn't always the the right type of training and it was it was probably too much training. And so to get your head around that as someone who's like, yeah, but I'm doing all of this stuff and this is what I want to do. And da, 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 why is it not working? Why all of a sudden am I feeling flat? That's really hard to describe. Mm. But from from my perspective, it was very, very clear what the issue was and basically I told you to slow down I think well <laughs> something to that you. politely you were like <laughs> you can you need to get your shit together <laughs> and chill the fuck Did I out say that? <laughs> I've quoted you to many a journalist Jocelyn <laughs> so those are the exact words so I mean yeah really oh gosh basically uh, so to put perspective on this and I'm not just this one person. There are, I'm sure, hundreds and thousands of girls who will listen to this and think, oh, that was me. Or maybe, oh, I think that's me now. Yeah. And basically, I was was doing my PhD, also doing a lot of clinical shift in A&E on the weekends and evenings and things. So I was working. I mean, I don't even want to know how many hours I was working. Mm. Sleeping for about five hours, training about five hours maybe six times a week, really quite intense. And my idea of a rest session was to literally go onto YouTube and be like, power yoga. Um, (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Alpha, alpha, alpha. I'm totally an alpha. (laughs) But yeah, that's what I was doing. And then I was really, really stressed. This was also the kind of the same time that social media was really taking off. I was definitely comparing myself to a lot of people, a lot of kind of like internal competition with myself, but also looking at people on social media and being like, but I train, I train more than them. Why do I not look like them? Or um, or like, oh my gosh, she's trained X many times this week. So I better get another session in. Um, I just kind of like really didn't have that much perspective. And, you know, I wasn't actually really that young either. I was in my late 20s then, so you think that maybe I might be a bit sensible, but also I was not having a period. Right, okay. Had I asked you that at the time? No. Okay, Um, okay. Usually that's something that I I would ask. (laughs) I don't know whether because we were in, um, because there were more of us there, that was probably a bit too personal a question to ask. Well, to ask a gynecologist, maybe not, but anyway. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so lots of things were going on, Um, and my life was mayhem basically. And I slept yeah. really badly and I would always be like clenching my jaw so badly. I probably was under eating a little bit as well. And then kind of like also binging because I'd be so exhausted in the day that I'd be like, yes, I need that Chelsea bun now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I'd go home and eat bro food for dinner. <laughs> and you know, so yeah, then I kind of took a long time to get perspective, but you're the first one that really like gave me a real slap in the face and was like, you need to sort this out. 
because mm. I just thought that, you know, you could have it all and you absolutely cannot have it all. And I just, it was a real shock that I didn't realize that all of that was why I wasn't having a period. So I was convinced that I had some kind of medical problem. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I do think there's a lack of insight in the medical community sometimes. Uh, not so much now, but there definitely has been about mm. the impact that lifestyle can have on your gynecological health in particular. So yeah. that's when I really started to realize, and I've had lectures from um, people much more senior than me. And I had a lecture from someone saying um, stress doesn't stop periods. And I was like, um, I think it yeah, does. Uh, no. So yeah, there is yeah, a yeah. great deal of awareness. And that's why I really enjoyed writing that section five of the book, the bit on lifestyle, mm. because you can read all the studies that you want. You can see all the patients you want, but when you've experienced something firsthand, yeah. that's when you really understand. And it's quite interesting yeah. because I've noticed that a lot of medics who are in the kind of lifestyle field have all had a personal trigger or they all have yeah. a personal story of why they're so interested and, and yeah. want to disseminate that information. So it's, it's all about perspective. And my perspective on life is completely different. And I look at myself now mm. and look at who I was four or five mm. years ago. And yeah. just, I would not be able to do the things that I do now. Yeah. If I was behaving like that, it's, yeah. I, I thought that I was highly functioning then, but I was highly <laughs> dysfunctioning basically. Yeah. 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 And it's hard. I think, yeah, I think it's really hard to get out of that cycle because you go and you go and you go and then you're like, yeah, but I can't slow down because if I slow, the, the fear of slowing down, mm is so high that it's just kind of like, but actually if I just keep doing what I'm doing, then I know even, I, I know this is what I know. It's almost like better the devil you know. Mm, exactly. Um, so it's a really tough one to kind of get people out of until they go too far and then they're like, okay, hang on a minute. I think it's just really important that whoever it is personally has that realization because you can tell someone something again and again, but they've got to really... Um, take that in and take it on board because you can't affect a change if you don't realize that a change is necessary. And, you know, something's got to give. And, and that's essentially why your period stops when you're doing all these things is because your body decides, well, that's the thing that's got to give because it's not essential for your survival. It's essential for the survival of the human race, but you won't die if you don't have a period. But you'll die if your body doesn't have energy to do all the other things, like make your brain function, make your heart function, do all these other things that it actually needs to do for survival. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing also with exercise, that exercise is also a stress. And so people are like, well, you know, if I, if I exercise, mm. it's going to get rid of my stress. But if you are highly stressed, then you add another stress. So if you imagine like, you know, that you've got a glass that's just nearly at the top and then you add exercise mm. to it, which is another stress, then it's going to it's going to overflow. And it's fine if your stress levels are lower and exercise can then be a positive stress. But if you're already highly stressed, um, then yeah. it's just it's just a negative one. So what else around stress and periods is that is that like I mean, <laughs> I guess. I'm going to ask you a ton of questions that you've probably been asking. You're like, oh, Justin, it depends, which is also the answer that I give to everyone. I'm like, it depends. Um, But do you find, I mean, is stress like a really high contributory factor before towards people not having their period or is it other? I think it's different for everyone Um, because, you know, for example, Mm. one person might have a really highly stressful job, but then have nothing else going on in their life. Whereas someone else might have a job that, 
you know, on the outside looks like, you know, something that's not stressful. Maybe they work for a couple of hours a week, but then they've got a family to look after and they've got like a menagerie of pets and, uh, and, you know, lots of other stress, like maybe money stress or, you know, so I think it just really depends, but I think yeah. we have to. There we go. It depends. <laughs> we have to remember that we always think of stress as an acute psychological insult. So maybe that you've fallen out with your boyfriend, or you can't pay your rent this month, or you're, you've got a, a deadline. But actually, stress comes in so many forms. So you know, things like not not sleeping well, that's a stress on the body. And then obviously exercise as well. And lots of people ask me actually, they're like, "Well, how much exercise is too much exercise?" And, and I mean. It depends on what else is going on in your life. But a lot of people who message me about this on social media, they often think that because they're exercising a lot, they're really healthy. But I think there's not a lot of appreciation of the fact that exercise is a precipitant of stress. But it also depends on what you're doing. Because, well, I, when I was not having a period, I was mainly doing HIIT training um, and also running a fair bit. And they're not good things for me. Whereas some people might just only hit train. And I know there's loads of people that do, and, and there's loads of benefits for hit training. But if that's not right for you, then, you know, that's something that you need to change. And it might just have to be gradually, because the thing is, if your exercise is the thing that's actually causing you to be stressed, it's often really difficult to change it because you can't you're probably in a stage where you're a bit addicted which is definitely what I was I was definitely addicted uh, and uh, and you know I think also as well it's interesting because if you have a lot of friends who don't exercise or don't exercise very much they can be like wow that's amazing because people were saying to me like oh you're trained so much that's incredible and that kind of spurred me on which is you know it's yeah. ridiculous but yeah, they yeah. get yeah, because our lives are all yeah. about positive reinforcement, aren't they? It's all like your social media likes, what your friends think of you, your family thinks of you, strangers these days. It's all there. And that definitely will affect psychologically how you perceive yourself and, and what you think of your actions, basically. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you were saying that, you know, some people just do only hit. And I have to say from a, from a trainer's perspective, that to me is just not a good spread of your of your week's training you know it, it may be that they're that they may still have their periods or whatever but it's just you know for for most people one to two to three hit sessions a week max is is fine if they're doing beyond that they need to be recovering as hard as they as they train because there will be a point at which the results just you know stop mm. or even worse, then it becomes a, a health issue. And I, I and I, it's part of it is that kind of addictive nature of, of HIIT training as well, that high that you get during the session, mm. after the session. And that in itself, people kind of can't rationalize beyond that feeling of, well, I'm sweating so much, I must be, I must be doing something, it's got to be working. And they mm. don't even, they're not even looking at whether they're even getting results anymore or not. They're just like, well, uh, well, more is more. And that's it until they get to that kind of too much point. And exactly. then it, and then it all comes crashing down. And, you know, if you look at something like, say, um, CrossFit, obviously, that's, that's, you know, very kind of, high from a high from an intensity perspective but a lot of those top level athletes or even kind of medium level athletes are doing a lot to recover themselves in order to be able to do that kind of of training so it's like if you are up there 
that's fine, but make sure that you're recovering harder than you train because otherwise you're you're in a lot of trouble basically. And 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 those kind of you know regular hit sessions often come with under eating as well. Mm. So then you you deal with people who are like, okay, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to train less and I want you to eat more. And they're like, sorry, what now? <laughs> like, pardon? It's just a complete like what are you talking about? And that from, again, from a trainer perspective, just takes so long sometimes just to get that into their psychology of, look, less is more. You've got to eat more calories and you've got to do less training. And we need to strip back some of those hit sessions and maybe get you doing some strength sessions. And no, you're not going to turn into Arnie. Trust me on this one. I've been doing this for years. I promise you. But it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. It's hard to convert people to you know back to slowing down and eating more so it's um it's an ongoing process and usually it's the people that have gone too far that actually go oh, okay I'm going to give that a try now because uh, actually yeah my body's <laughs> messed up now so yeah. uh, I'll try the other way but I think it's about finding your why because if you're training and you don't know why or you're trying to achieve something unattainable like I mean I think I'm not sure if it's because I've unfollowed lots of people on Instagram these days or if yeah. it has changed, but I feel like people are slightly less obsessed with abs these days. Yeah, hopefully. I know, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. I, I think that's a massive thing that has happened and lots of people doing kind of like bikini competitions and things and, and wanting to really drop their body fat percentage, for example. You know, a lot of people are not going to have abs. It's genetic. Or you have to get to a really low body fat percentage, which isn't going to be healthy. And and that sends messages to your brain that says we're starving here you know there's your your fat is a communicator Uh, and so for women particularly women are meant to have a higher body fat percentage than men Mm. and then lots of people say to me well what body fat percentage do I need to have periods and it's like well I can't tell you that because no one knows yeah exactly wow so they're like I want to be I want to be you know kind of still be lean but not so lean that I don't have a period. So what is that, please? That's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? But then, I mean, I started weightlifting and that's when I decided to go to the GP. Mm. And she said to me, uh, I remember it very clearly. It was the summer and I was wearing a vest. and I had my, I had my guns out. She looked at me and she was like, what do you do? What exercise do you do? And I was like, oh, I've just started weightlifting. She was like, well, there you go. That's why you're not having periods. <gasps> wow. <laughs> And I was like, hmm, okay, wow. I'll, I'll take that form for the blood test and I'll see you later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, because this is the thing, you know, I, I don't really know anyone who's told me that they've started weightlifting and they've stopped having periods, but yeah. I definitely yeah. know a lot of people who've started HIIT training and they've stopped or they've yeah. stopped HIIT training and their periods come back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, uh, again, I think like a lot of people think, oh, when you lift, then you increase your testosterone. And that's why women stop having periods. And it's like, you know, yeah, no. you can't think too much into that kind of biochemistry level. You know, if if that works for you, then that's great. You don't have to think about what's changing on a molecular and hormonal level and all this kind of thing. But I definitely, I mean, I really rate weightlifting for women. I mean, obviously I lift. Yeah, um, yeah. So obviously I'm going to say that, but you know, it's so important for women to be loading their bones. Because we are, we, women are getting their peak bone strength around the twenties and thirties. And after that, it will start to decrease slowly. And so this is the problem with people whose periods stop. You are stopping having periods. So you're not making as much estrogen during the phase when your bones need your estrogen so much. 
because after the menopause, you don't make hardly any estrogen. And so that's why we know that people who are menopausal do have thinner bones. So you're, you're not supplying your bones with the, the ability to strengthen themselves at the peak phase. We don't know if your body can recover later. It probably can't. So that's really dangerous. And that's the, big, that's the biggest health risk, actually, with not having a period is the bone health issue. And it's not something that is easy to fix. It is quite frightening, isn't it, when you think about that? And then you're just mm. kind of like, come on. And then women don't want to train for all of the wrong, don't want to strength train for all of the the wrong reasons, you know, like, oh, I'm going to become, you know, too bulky or, and mm. it's kind of like, no, that's not going to happen. Just, just exactly. train. And even I've been working on um, a project with um, Stylist Magazine. Basically it's, it's strength training classes for women. Okay. Um, but I really had to think about, how I was going to approach the programming because I still know even if I am doing a talk on strength training or if I'm running a workshop on strength training where women are coming to actually learn how to lift Mm. um, I will still ask you know do you think that lifting weights is going to make you bulky is that Mm. something that you fear and still hands go up so they still they're, they're trying to get that that's not what's going to happen exactly but there's just this thing that they still believe that's like deep in their veins that they're going to look like arnie and i'm like ask any skinny guy at the gym how hard it is to put on muscle trust me it is not or to get to get bulky you know it's not it's not easy but yes yeah, so, so um what i've tried to do with the with the stylist stuff is actually so i've got like a classic strength class which is really looking at your kind of fundamental movement patterns like your um your hip hinge so your deadlift or your um, knee dominant like a squat so I've put in like pulls pushes all that kind of stuff but then I've done an everyday strength class and that is basically to pull in the women who know that they probably should do some strength training but are still Mm. scared of weights so Mm. it's just like okay I'm gonna let you feel what lifting weights does for your body every day like you're just gonna feel better on a daily basis and um, exactly. it's not going to be that kind of classic 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 strength piece but it's going to be like you need to lift weights and you're going to feel how it feels and you're going to feel better and then you're going to see actually yes you should you should this should be part of your regime rather than hit 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 exactly and that's why i think we need to look at it as a long-term investment as well because my my predominant reason for training these days is to just build a really strong body that's going to be able yeah. to help me for the rest of my life. I mean, yeah. I spend a lot of my day standing in kind of awkward positions yeah, and doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I need strength around my joints for that. And I mean, I have very hypermobile joints anyway. So yeah. that's one of another reason why I started strength training. Yeah. And that's something that women do have more than men. Yeah. So, you know, you, you want to be building this body to look after yourself when you're old. Yeah. Yeah. As my colleague Luke says, to, to bulletproof your body, basically, exactly. which is, yeah, it's what we need, mama. Okay. Let's have a look at food because we've, yeah. we've kind of covered um, exercise and stress in, in the one really. And of course, everything's linked in anyway, but let's have exactly. a look at food. Talk to me about food and well, I guess again, food it's and women's a, health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that there's um, a lot of extreme diets out there these days. I've noticed a lot of people wanting to kind of like define themselves based on what kind of diet they eat. And mm. I've noticed a lot, a lot of people's Instagram profiles. It's like Laura, 21, Leeds, paleo, or yeah. Sarah, 26, London, vegan, yeah. um, which is interesting. But I have started to notice 
how maybe extreme diets are having an impact on a lot of women. And so there's been a lot of talk over the last few years about low carb diets, for example. And then also obviously vegan diets are becoming so common. And Mm -hmm. so I think they're the the two that I encounter the most. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people who I see do need to lose a bit of weight. It's a, it's a fact that, you know, as a nation, we're overweight and, and I'm not saying that they need to lose weight because I want them to look good in their bikini, but we do know that, you know, if you're carrying excess weight, it can be associated with adverse outcomes. So a lot of people say to me, they're like, okay, so I've stopped eating bread and I'm like, okay, but what else are you eating? And it's really interesting because uh, for the general population, low carb seems to be synonymous with healthy which is really interesting. And so particularly I see a lot of people with PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, where Mm. they're maybe not having periods because of a hormonal imbalance that basically means your body often becomes resistant to insulin. And Mm -hmm. so instead of your ovaries making your normal female hormones, it makes lots of testosterone. So your periods can stop and then you get acne, male pattern baldness, hair where you don't want it to be, these kind of things. And and so I see a lot of these people in clinic and they're like, well, I've seen online that I need to do a ketogenic diet. So if you're doing a ketogenic diet, you need to be eating generally less than about 20 grams of carbs per day. Mm Which is so little. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, even just for your brain function, let alone anything else. Exactly. And then, so if you are thinking of it as kind of like a, you're trying to help your body in terms of the insulin resistance, you could see how the signs might be there. But the thing is that there's not any good long term evidence to show that these ketogenic diets are actually helping these women with their PCOS. Mm. There's a couple of really short term studies and mainly focusing around weight loss in um, in this particular group because people with PCOS can be more likely to be overweight. Mm. But they're just the long-term evidence isn't there, but a lot of people online are really pushing these diets. And the thing is, it's so psychologically traumatic for these women trying desperately to eat 20 grams of carbs with no solid evidence for why they're busting their balls to do it, basically. And then the other thing is, yeah, vegan diet. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just uh, say, you know, yeah. I did eat steak for dinner just before we had this conversation. <laughs> so I am a meat eater. I eat anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Same. I don't have anything against vegans. But I think that is the the latest extreme diet. And I know plenty of really responsible vegans. But the thing is that I'm actually seeing quite a few girls coming to clinic who aren't having their periods and they've recently become vegan. And so a lot of quite irresponsible vegan bloggers have gone online and said, well, not a lot, but one or two, shall we say, yeah. um, have yeah. said... But if, if they've got a large following, then it's, yeah. it's a huge impact, isn't it? Yeah. So if your period stops, you're doing veganism properly, which is just horrifying. And I've had conversations wow. with people and they're like, no, no, but my diet's so clean. So it's, that's not why I'm not having my period. But I'm like, yes, it's so clean. You're not getting like, you're not getting any all the stuff nutrients, that you need. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm absolutely not the right person to advise people on how to have a, you know, a proper vegan diet. But mm. what I would say is that, you know, you can become deficient in things like B12 um, mm. and also um, particularly iodine I'm seeing a lot. So. Mm. You get iodine deficiency often when you don't eat dairy. And so iodine has to come from the sea. That's the only way that we, that naturally iodine is formed. So it's in fish, seaweed, salt. And in a lot of countries, the the salt is enriched with iodine, but most of it isn't in the UK. 
And so if you're having plant-based milks, you're not going to be getting very much iodine because there's a lot of iodine in dairy in this country. And I didn't realize this until someone told me because I hadn't quite made the link, but it's because they wash the dairy equipment with iodine. Oh, wow. That's how it gets. Yeah. So that's how it gets into the the dairy, which is super interesting. Um, So I did a post about this a while ago and someone was like, yeah, but my almond milk is homemade. And it's like, well, that's amazing. I mean, wow, (laughs) you make your own almond milk. I could not imagine doing that. It's pretty impressive. But (laughs) (laughs) people do apparently, Um, but it doesn't contain any iodine because almonds don't contain iodine. And so it's, again, this kind of concept that it's natural, so it must have everything in it, but it doesn't. And that's the thing about, you know, having a varied diet. Now, a lot of women can become iron deficient. So Mm. iron is what makes hemoglobin, which is in your red blood cells, which carries oxygen Mm. around the body. And so I think that that's something that, well, you know, iron deficiency is the most common nutrient deficiency worldwide. And so lots of people can't absorb it. But if you're having heavy periods, then you can be bleeding out. Now, if mm. you're vegetarian or vegan, there's actually loads and loads of um, of sources of iron that don't come from meat. So if you have a very varied diet, you should be getting plenty of iron. Yeah. Um, but another problem I'm seeing is lots of people who are anemic wanting to take all these kind of like natural products rather than the tablets that we prescribe or that you can buy over the counter. The problem is that a lot of them don't really contain a decent amount of iron at all. So what are they, are they like, so what are they trying to buy? Is it like a... Well, there's one that's always advertised on the tube. It's the woman yawning. I won't say the name because maybe I'll, I don't know, get shot. (laughs) It's a woman yawning and it's got like flowers on the packaging and it's like an iron syrup. And it's basically saying, are you tired? You need this. Well, if you're tired, you shouldn't be buying something that's advertised on the tube. You should be going to see your doctor to make sure that you have the proper blood tests and not having all this junk. But often, particularly pregnant women, I see a lot of pregnant women who are iron deficient, not through Mm. any fault of their own, not through their diet. I was once told by a hematologist, so they're like the blood specialist doctors. Well, it's Mm. because pregnancy is like a parasite. (laughs) which is kind of extreme um it's interesting because i've heard that actually it's true because you're bleed you dry well yeah your baby's taking the supplies taking everything in your body so that's what happens but then i have a lot of problems with a lot of pregnant women saying oh well i'm going to increase the amount of spinach i eat well you could try that but yeah. it's probably not going to have an impact and actually yeah, you need, need a truckload of spinach <laughs> can be dangerous yeah, yeah. So some people just won't absorb it but then i just have a lot of frustration with people who often want to try these sort of like more natural preparations and a lot of them just really don't work mm. so mm. iron tablets can make you quite constipated and can also yeah. cause um, a lot of people to have indigestion. Yeah. But it's worth talking to your doctor or pharmacist about what you can do to counteract that. So you're actually getting plenty of iron yeah. and then not suffering the the ill side effects. Yeah. So I think that's quite important to say and yeah. reinforce the fact that you can't always fix everything with your diet. Your diet yeah. is definitely important. Yeah. But I just feel like a lot of people these days think that their diet is going to change everything for their health. And yeah. I think that's, again, because the whole like natural is good, natural is perfect and everything. Mm. Is you can sort old. of whack natural onto a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Like even if you go into like a health food store, there's a ton of stuff that's natural that I'm kind of like, yeah, that's not so good for you. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or organic or whatever. Like you can just kind of whack those labels on anything. Yeah. And, and to to the person that doesn't know, 
they're like, oh, cool, I'm doing this for my health. And and that's the thing. Like, I think that, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, you, you, there's so many different, you know, pieces of information out there. It's so hard to know. And I and I agree. Like, there's so Definitely. much out there. Like, it's overwhelming. But ultimately, what you have to do is take that time to be like, okay, consult with somebody if you can. And then just like, right, I'm going to try this and I'm going to give this a go for two to three months. See how I feel. Do I feel good? Great. Do I not? Okay. What am I going to change? And it's kind of like people have to take that responsibility Mm. to be like, okay, yes, it might take me a while to, to try and figure this stuff out, but you've got to start somewhere. And a lot of people will go, I tried this, yeah, but that didn't really work. How long did you try it for? A week. All oh, right, okay, great. That's a really good long time <laughs> to so give something a go. Trying to change your hormones, it's going to take at least three months. Yeah. And that's related to the time it takes for the eggs to develop in the ovaries um, because that's all related with the hormone production. So Mm. that's the thing. You need to be trying something quite long term. But again, it's that kind of like, is something extreme really going to be the thing for you? And Mm. a lot of my patients do ask me for um, advice when it comes to diet. and. As I said, you know, I'm not the right person, but for some mm. people, that's the only dietary advice that they're going to get. So yeah. my kind of like general advice is always try and have a little bit of everything. Make sure that you're having all your like whole grains and, you know, you're really good good quality carbohydrates. So all your oats, brown rice, yeah. Um, yeah, all your whole grains. And then also my other main piece of advice is just make your plate as colorful as possible. Yeah. So yeah. My, my science degree before I went to medical school um, – was in molecular biology. Mm. And so I worked in a lab in the um, final year. And we basically did research looking at the mechanisms of how different compounds in food have anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory properties. Mm. So, I mean, a, a lot of it was all done in like little Petri dishes. It wasn't looking at how, you know, eating broccoli is going to prevent a human being from getting cancer, but it's all kind of like looking at the little intertwined mechanisms. Mm. Um, but really that kind of reinforced to me that all these chemicals that we were investigating were all of the, the colorful things, the things that give yeah. food their color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I always just say, you know, you make a dish, what can you add to that dish to make it mm. more colorful? So mm. if you're making like, chicken fajitas maybe you're going to get all that you're going to get that um you know the pack of peppers with the three different colors in yeah maybe you're going to add some sweet corn as well or you know just something else to make it colorful and then when you go out try and eat a dish that has kind of some different veggies in that you wouldn't cook at home yeah Um, because you can get stuck in your ways can't you with what you cook exactly and just like really get that diversity and that's what it's Mm. all about it's all about just trying to eat as many different colors and as many different sort of food groups as possible and you know a lot of people like well what's the best diet well the outstanding diet um for Mm. want of a better word is the mediterranean diet really Mm. you know it's got all your fruits and veggies it's got a little bit of dairy a little bit of meat just really good quality and and that's really what i try and do now so like as i said i had beef for dinner but i got it from what i used to call a really overpriced butcher but what i realized now now is like like, actually i know what i'm paying for now (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know it's better to do that once a week than to have some maybe cheap meat from the supermarket Mm. every Mm. day and so that's kind of like how i try to do it now Mm. Uh, and And I, i think as well on the on the meat front as well if you are eating poor quality meat that's you know full of hormones 
then if you stop eating that, you probably will feel a little bit better. Exactly. But actually, you know, and I'm, I'm the same, like I will buy really high quality meat, which does cost more money, but I feel really good. You know, I've, I've always eaten meat and I've always eaten fish and kind of always eaten everything really. And of course, I've kind of tried out different things really from a, a research perspective more than anything yeah. else just to be like, oh, let me, let me look into this. Let me try this. Let me try that. And, and, you know, and, and how it, in tune my body is to various different things has changed over the, over the years, uh, which, which is another thing, I guess, on the food front that, you know, what works for you, what worked for you maybe mm. 10 years ago is not going to work for you now. And it's something exactly. that I kind of always harp on about, like the more things that you can track about yourself for yourself, yeah. um, the better informed you're going to be because exactly. you're your own lab rat. No one else is, you know, the more information you have on you, the better. Exactly. And end of story, you know? Yeah. It's so individual. And so if you're listening to me thinking, well, that's rubbish because that works for me, then that's great. You know, yeah. it, it's just so individual. Yeah. And I think the, the last thing to say on diet really is that I get so many questions of people asking me, is dairy bad for me? There's no evidence that in general, dairy is bad for health outcomes. Now, yeah. people may have their own sort of like ethical and environmental reasons for maybe not having dairy. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people are talking about, oh, dairy causes endometriosis, causes polycystic ovarian syndrome, causes infertility. But mm. the thing is, the evidence isn't there for that. Actually, a lot of the studies that have been done, particularly with endometriosis, actually suggest that people who, who have dairy, mm. actually in a prospective study, had a lower risk of developing endometriosis. Yeah. Now, okay. no one knows if that's actually you know, it's not causality. It's not proving that dairy prevents endometriosis. I mean, I'm sure mm. that's the Daily Mail headline. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it does suggest that it's not dangerous. And, yeah. and actually what the authors of that study hypothesized was that it's because dairy is a really good source of vitamin D. Now, vitamin D is one of the master hormones. It's mm. a vitamin, but it's still a hormone. And it plays a massive role in the immune system, but also in so many of my patients who come to clinic they're all vitamin D deficient. And I feel like I, I'm, it's because I'm seeing the tip of the iceberg. I know, yeah, but I yeah. just feel like everyone's vitamin D deficient. And I think it is such an important thing and we should all be supplementing in the winter months. Mm. So hopefully soon we can all stop our vitamin D supplements. You still need to be supplementing, but yeah, yeah. And that's another thing that you can become deficient in if you're not having dairy. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Continue yeah, with dairy, so, don't feel guilty. Yeah, but, it might exactly. not, but again, it might not be for everyone. If you have, yeah. for example, endometriosis and you think it makes your symptoms worse, then mm. you have to, you know, cut it out by all means, keep a diary, see how things go. But don't feel shamed by something that someone else has written online that makes you think you have to stop it. If you get on fine with dairy, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I say, like, track what you do what works for, mm -hmm. for your friend or whoever or you know isn't necessarily what's going to work for for you and even within that what were again what worked for you 10 years ago is not what is going to work for you now exactly. so it's um yeah it's just especially with diets I mean god like so many people want the want the thing that's going to make the change. There's no magic bullet. <laughs> There's no magic bullet, no magic pill. And the thing that's going to make the change is actually slowing it down, tracking what you're doing, mm. and being consistent with that. 
And that's a little bit dull and it's a little bit boring, but that is the thing that's going to get you to where you want to go. But so many people just don't have the the patience for that. We do live in a fast paced society. You get everything, even Amazon Prime. I'm like, I have to wait till the, till two days. What the hell? I want it tomorrow. (laughs) I know. Do you know what? I'm so bad. If I go on Amazon these days, I'm like, I select Amazon Prime. Prime, You don't get it yet. Exactly. Forget it. Exactly. It's like, I ain't waiting two days for nobody. (laughs) I need it now. That's the thing is that, especially with food, like just eat a balanced diet. Yeah. Just do that. Do that and do that consistently for three months. And then you're going to be cool. Don't have the guilt around food. And I recognize, obviously, it's not as simple as that. A lot of people have issues around food that may have started in their childhood or whatever. So it's definitely not black and white. But for most people that could, if they needed to, get a grip on just eating a balanced diet, if they did that for three months, they would notice a change. Um, But that's often not sexy enough. I think from a psychological point of view, I tell a lot of my patients to not think about cutting things out, but think about what they're going to add that's going to improve their their, themselves, what's going to give something good to their body. And they're always quite intrigued when I say that, actually. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. the the add-in principle, exactly, rather than kind of cutting it out. But um, yes, no, we could talk about we could talk about the food thing for ages. Okay, and then finally, sleep. My mm. favorite thing in the whole world, which frankly I don't get enough of these days. But <laughs> give me I a couple know. more months, and uh, hopefully does. Max won't be waking up <laughs> in the night for feeds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people do not realize how important sleep is, and it's free. It's like the best yeah. medicine yes. ever. It's when your body recharges. So you can do as much restorative yoga as you want to, but if you're not mm. sleeping, your body's that not you, able that to you do ran to from work and then rushed well, home to get your food from. <laughs> Han, it was not restorative yoga, let's be honest. <laughs> yep. No, it's so underrated. So, I mean, we're just as a nation not sleeping as well. I mean, I read a mm. study and I can't remember the statistics anymore, but it was looking at the sleep deficit over the last decade. And I think we all sleep something like an hour or an hour and a half less, which is just crazy. And, and, there's this interesting concept that people are talking about these days in the literature called social jet lag. And it's all about how you get a sleep deficit in the week and you try and repay it at the weekend and you just can't. Mm. So your body does not have a sleep bank. (laughs) It doesn't understand that. So what it wants you to do is basically sleep a sort of even number of hours per night because mm. lots of us will maybe go to bed really late on a you know Monday night because on Sunday we've been good and you know we're starting as we mean to go on mm. and then you're going to get up really early because you've got breakfast meeting on Tuesday morning and then you have a really stressful day so then you can't sleep very well on Tuesday night because you're thinking about the deadlines that you need to do for Wednesday and mm. then you know this goes on all through the week and maybe you go out to a party one night or you know whatever and then at the weekend you try and sleep like maybe 10 to 12 hours per night when you've yeah. slept maybe five hours per night in the week and you can't repay it like that but that's what we're all constantly trying to do Uh, and so then you're thinking well what does this have to do with female health or health in general well Mm. the thing is that your body repairs itself lots of different signaling processes are going on when you're asleep that don't happen when you're awake Mm -hmm. and so your hormones will be very different if you haven't had a good night's sleep. So just Mm. one night of four hours of sleep is enough to make you become almost pre-diabetic. 
Uh, that's what, how it's changing your hormones. So that's the best yeah. example I can find because there isn't a lot of data out there looking at female hormones. But if you're changing your insulin sensitivity, you're definitely going to be changing all these other things because they're all interlinked. And mm. and the best way I always think to explain this to someone is, you know, when you've had a really bad night's sleep and then you're really tired the next day and all you want all morning is like a piece of flapjack. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's changing your, your body signaling completely yeah. different things and yeah. so that's kind of like a demonstration of how just not sleeping has an impact on what your body's doing and so we're just it's sort of going back to that thing about stress really isn't it we're not sleeping enough that's stressing our bodies out we're not able to recuperate and then we're all trying to train like athletes mm. and not recovering like athletes mm. uh, and mm. then so it's just like all you know one big awful cascade yeah and yeah. and I think that we really need to start paying more attention to sleep and it needs yeah. to become this sexy thing because it's almost yeah. sexy to go into work and be like, oh my God, I like pulled an all-nighter last night and I slept for like two hours. Yeah. And that's something to be respected. Like where on the back, if yeah. you go to work and you're like, oh my God, I slept for like nine hours. Everyone's like, all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, no one's going to be like, wow, she's cool. <laughs> exactly that's it it's the non-sexy stuff man it's the, exactly. that's, the, that's the good shit um and it's exactly. interesting that you mention um everyone's training like athletes but not recovering like athletes one of my clients is a, a sprinter when we're doing our sessions like she will take breaks because she'll be like actually I just need a bit more time before we go into our next set because she knows her body so well mm. if I'm training Joe Bloggs they're like oh can we, can we can we just go straight into it and I'm like and that's the difference yeah the athlete really knows and not all the time don't you know it's not not for every not necessarily everyone but they understand their bodies and the need for rest in terms of how it affects their performance more than Joe Bloggs who like you said, is trying to train mm. like an athlete, but missing the recovery piece. Exactly. Um, then, yeah. These are all like the modifiable factors. So you can change how much you sleep, you can change your diet, you can change your stress level to an extent, and you can change how much you exercise. And they will all have an impact on your health. But then there's also lots of things that you can't change. So mm. a big thing that I'm seeing a lot at the moment is people being really into kind of like tracking their menstrual cycle, which is awesome. Mm. Mm. Because there are times in your cycle where you won't feel as up for training and your sleep may suffer at certain times in your cycle. And so this is all about kind of like being aware of the things that you can do, but also being aware of the times when you, could, you shouldn't punish yourself for feeling yeah. rubbish because yeah, that's yeah. your hormonal cycle ticking over. And and so, I mean, there's a great app called Moody that we both have done some work for, which is my absolute go-to when it comes to tracking your cycle because lots of yeah. people these days are really getting into it and it's great. And you, yeah. know, you can see how your menstrual cycle affects you in terms of your sleep and your energy levels, your mood, all of these things. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is so important is to kind of, change things you can, but accept the things that you can't. Mm, mm. Because we can do all these great, you know, you can have the best lifestyle, you can be like, number one lifestyle guru in Tatler, but you know, you still got intrinsic things going on that you can't, you can't modify. And that's where we need to not be hard on ourselves. You should be damn hard on yourself. If you're not sleeping well, you need to sort it out. Because your body can't function. But if you know, it's just that time of the month, maybe, you know, like two days before your period where you just feel rubbish. If you're doing everything you can, but you still feel rubbish, that's mm. your that's your hormones, that's your body set level. It's difficult to really punish yourself then because you've already tried all the things that you can do. Yeah, yeah. 
So it's just and, giving yourself permission to feel like crap sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And and that, that that comes back to that tracking piece. Like if you know that, you know, you're at, you know, whatever stage in your cycle, yeah, like say that week before your period where you're just feeling tired, not really feeling into it, you're not feeling that motivated. And then you know that that's why then mm. it's just way easier because mm. you know a lot of the a lot of the athletes that I work with who are recovering from injury mm. their cycle is what we pay the most attention to because mm-hmm. we are guaranteed just before ovulation everything is feeling hunky dory they're feeling strong they're feeling yeah. fit we increase the volume of their training because they're able to recover better and you know or the, the volume of their of their rehab even but then they know then things will start to feel a little bit more sore after ovulation they're just you know moving into their period it just doesn't feel so good mm. and and it's so easy even though they track it and I get them to track it and they'll say oh it's not feeling so good today and I'm like where are you in your cycle and then they're like mm-hmm. oh yep yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, yeah, I get it. Exactly. It's not supposed to be Whereas feeling good. Whereas if you weren't tracking, you'd be like, I'm having a really bad day. And yeah. then you might feel sorry for yourself and you go and like eat like half a packet of biscuits and then yeah. like go out for a drink in the evening and drink more than you normally would because you feel bad. And it's like yeah. those are the things that that information can help you with. Yeah, yeah. So 100%. it's so important. Yeah. yeah, track, 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 track. Except I don't approve of sleep apps where you put your phone <laughs> underneath your pillow. I can't, I'm just like, no. No, I know. If you wake up in the morning and you think you've had a good night's sleep and then you look at the app and it says that you've had a bad night's sleep, then you're going to have a shit day. (laughs) Exactly. Because an app has told you rather than you actually just waking up and seeing it, you're going to know if you've had a good night's sleep from how you feel the next day. Very simple. Yeah. (laughs) Like, there's no need to have a phone underneath your pillow that you can check in the middle of the night if you wake up. Like, no. Track, but don't track too much. Yeah, exactly, 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 exactly. For those who are listening, just around their cycle and training, if you break it down into you know four periods, and pardon Mm -hmm. the use of the word period, but um, (laughs) sort of day. If we're if we're going to say an average period of twenty eight days, obviously Mm -hmm. they're not they're not all in that. Um, you know, days one to to seven so when your period starts some women feel like training others don't so that's really yeah. really you know individual between between them but you are entering I keep, I keep using the word period now we're talking about periods and I'm like, I mean you know you're entering a phase yes that's it thank you Anita you are entering a phase where actually you will be able to you know increase the volume of your training um, mm. because your body's able to recover more so once so once you reach ovulation pre-ovulation and ovulation itself that's when you can hit your pbs yeah. so um a, a pelvic floor physio that i work with um helen she talks about it in terms of spring summer autumn winter day one of your period and that that kind of first um seven days would be spring then you come into summer kind of uh, coming up to ovulation that's when you again those p you can hit those pbs and um, you're feeling good training volume can in- can increase then you go post ovulation into autumn and then that that final week would then be winter so if you can't kind of think of it in terms of spring summer autumn winter and during autumn and winter yes you're doing less your body's not able to recover as much and then you can just slow things down a little bit it doesn't mean that you stop training altogether but again it's just that information to know that you're not going to maybe feel as good as you were feeling the week before and so to to not be so hard on yourself and other people kind of say to me oh but then what do you do with athletes like they can't change the the days of their races and that's absolutely right you can't change it but still information is information if they know that they're still going to do everything that they can do in order to be optimal 
for their race for the time that they're in you know in their cycle yes you can't yeah. change everything but you you can be in control of the information that you have so that's the that's the the key piece and lots of people always ask oh is it safe to train when i'm having my period if there's no evidence to say it's dangerous um, yeah. but a lot of people say they feel really tired a lot of people are worried that that's because they're becoming anemic because of the the bleeding but actually, it's more likely to be because of the fact that your estrogen levels are low. So estrogen is definitely involved in energy. And so if you're only tired when you're having a period, then it's unlikely to be anemia. It's definitely mm. something that should be checked out. Don't just randomly start taking iron supplements, as we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Um, but you know, that just because you feel tired it doesn't mean it's dangerous. It doesn't mean you're sort of putting yourself in danger from the bleeding point of view. It's, mm. it's probably more likely the phenomenon of the the hormones changing naturally so yeah absolutely go for it and there's some quite interesting studies um there's a meta-analysis that was published this start of this year or mm. maybe end of last year that was looking at women who exercised as an intervention for period pain and it's super interesting and it just showed that actually exercise can be helpful for period pain but it generally needs to be something you do throughout the month not yeah. something that you're just doing like oh I've got period pain now I need to yeah. exercise so <laughs> yeah. it's all like I know I think the overlying theme of this podcast is like consistency is key yeah consistency and moderation <laughs> yeah consistency and it doesn't have to be the sexy stuff like actually just consistency yeah. of actually quite boring stuff can actually work really really well it doesn't have to be this extreme yeah okay I'm gonna go for it yeah I'm gonna go all in because that is just like yeah you're gonna be all out in about a week exactly <laughs> yeah no tracking 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 and and yeah consistency and just don't beat yourself up if yeah. try and be friends with your your body and your health rather than enemies with yeah it. exactly get to know yourself get to know what works for you and that does take time there, there, there just simply isn't a, a fast track to that it exactly. takes time get to know it you know as as you said what was it um, five was it five years ago that mm. you would reach that peak of unhealth mm-hmm. um fullness for your body mm. and that's made lots of changes for you so I guess I, I would ask you know anybody that's listening who either doesn't have their period or is training hard but not feeling like they're getting results to just slow down yeah a little bit and start trying to figure it out if you can, um, and obviously get get help within that as well. If, if you feel like it's something that you need to get professional help with, of course, do. And that's you know equally, and it's really not nice to say it, but as a trainer, I will not help somebody with whatever it is if I don't feel qualified enough to mm. do so. Um, there are probably a lot of people out there who will say, "Yeah, sure, I can help with that," and that they're they're not qualified to do so. So you know, unfortunately, maybe not everybody that you go to is going to be able to help. And yes, that is a downside. And there's not much that can be done about that. It, it kind of is what it is. But just try and have as much information about yourself as you can. And you know what, if you feel good, it probably means that you're doing something good. Try and do more of that. <laughs> like, exactly. You know, um, and then, yeah, hopefully the rest will fall into place. But but life exactly. is also life and it, and it comes with its stresses. So, you know, I know, for example, yeah, here we are talking about sleep and I know I've got to complete something tonight that is going to have me up late. But um, for the most part... I'm and I'm getting up at 2.30 to, to go to the airport. Oh, <laughs> Where are you going? You're going on holiday. I did know I'm this, didn't to, I? I'm going to Greece. We're going to do some Wedmin. Oh, fab. Lovely. Uh, obviously, like, eat a lot of uh, spinach pie. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. 
Beautiful Greece, beautiful. I love it. I've only been there once, but it was stunning. But Anita, thank you so, 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 so much. Oh, pleasure. I can ask thank you so you. many questions and, and talk to you about this for ages. But um, <laughs> And thank you for, for just all that you do, basically, and, oh, and for writing the book and making a point of, of getting information out there that, that helps women to be more informed around their gynecological health, basically, because it yeah, is, well, you know, something that people are embarrassed to talk about. Yeah. And and what what is exciting for me as a trainer is that women's health is becoming more of a, a topic that people are paying attention to. There's still so much that that kind of needs to be researched because there's so little information out exactly. there. But hopefully, you know, those conversations are starting and, and you know, in, in 10 or 20 years' time, we'll be way more informed than we are now. Mm. Um, and that, that won't be just the, the professionals involved, but, you know, the general public who are more in control of their of their health. So um, let's hope that that happens, but hopefully the work that Definitely. you're doing and um, some of the work that I'm doing will, will, will contribute to that. But um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. But my love, um, get to bed. <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> Don't talk to me about what I have to do this evening. It's okay. I have got this. But yeah, thank you so much again and have no, a wonderful a holiday. Thank you. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Mama. Oh, thanks. You too, Jocelyn. All right, my love. Okay, All right. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye. bye. 